the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As I was preparing for this second sermon in a series of Advent messages, I thought it might be interesting for my own uh, edification as, as background for today's message. I thought if I took a look at the 12 minor prophets, do we remember those from Sunday school, the 12 minor prophets? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. That's a lot of prophets. I thought if I looked at them to see what they foretold of the advent or the coming of Christ, that it might be good background for today's sermon. And while I found that each of them prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, I also found in Malachi an interesting prophetic word that foretold of the coming of John the Baptist, the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here Malachi refers to John the Baptist, who called men and women to repentance. His appointed office was the messenger of God. His mission was to prepare the way in the hearts of people for the advent, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now in the passage that Christy just read in Luke, Luke quotes one of the major prophets. Do we remember those from Sunday school? Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, not as many of those. But he quotes Isaiah, saying, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, if John the Baptist was the messenger for the first advent of Christ. Who then is the messenger for the second advent? Who is calling people to repentance today? Who holds the responsibility to prepare the way of the Lord for his second coming? Well, the answer is, it's us. 
the church, the body of Christ. We are to be the voice crying out in the wilderness. And if we accept that we have that responsibility and that authority, are we indeed fulfilling it? Are we effectively spreading the good news? Are we as the church and as individuals actively engaging the unchurched? Are we personally involved in the evangelical mission of the church? Do we regularly invite people to invite Jesus into their hearts? These are all questions that we should continually ask of ourselves and of our church and of our church leaders. If we turn our attention to current events, we can see that the world is in desperate need of Jesus. More than ever before, the world needs the church to stand up and be the church to the people of the world. We need to be the voice crying out in the wilderness. We need to be the voice crying out in the wilderness because there is far too much crying in the wilderness. In fact, there's just too much wilderness. Spiritual wilderness. Bleak, empty, hopeless wilderness. But for the grace of God and our Lord and Savior Jesus. See, in Jeremiah 31.15, the Lord says, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. I've often wondered what that meant because if I remember my Bible history, Rachel was long dead and buried in Jeremiah's day. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, Rachel dies while giving birth while on the road to Bethlehem. And in the midst of her suffering, the midwife tries to comfort her with the news that she is having a son. Her child is, at the same time, the cause of her suffering and weeping, and at the same time, her only hope for the future, to continue the line of her family. Rachel is buried in Ramah. Later, Jeremiah uses that imagery of Rachel's crying over her children to express the sorrow and the hope of the children of Israel. Because it's nearby Ramah that the conquering Babylonians deported the conquered Jews, enslaved them into captivity, deported them from Israel to Babylon. 
Rachel weeps over her children once more as they are enslaved. But she's comforted with the promise that they will return home one day. And in that same prophecy, Jeremiah is foretelling about the slaughter of the innocents in the gospel according to Matthew. In Matthew, he speaks about Rachel weeping yet again over the slaughter of the children at Bethlehem by order of King Herod to protect his rule from the reported arrival of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus. Now I'm here to tell you this morning that Rachel continues to weep over her children. As they continue to be slaughtered at the hands of wicked men and women. Working their evil under a black standard emblazoned with the satanic shahada and the seal of the false prophet Muhammad. I have to tell you that the times we live in, and Sundays such as this one, make me somewhat melancholy. This Sunday morning, I was thinking back to when I was a child riding home from church with my brother and sister in the back seat of mom and dad's big pewter-colored Lincoln Continental. Dad loved that car. He'd worked hard to build a life for us, and one day, out of the blue, he decided he would spend some of that hard-earned money on a brand-new Lincoln, much to my mother's chagrin. But it was a big, quiet car, and the interior was deep green, and it smelled like brand-new leather. We had never owned such an automobile. But we would pile into that big car on Sunday morning and go to church. And after church, some Sundays, Dad would ask. Some Sundays, Mom would ask. But invariably, we'd get in the car after church, and one of them would ask, and it was always the same question. What did you learn at church today? Now, even if I had managed to pay attention in church, I would struggle to articulate what I had learned. And the question always made me uncomfortable. But even now, when I get into my car to go home after service, I still find myself asking the question, what did I learn in church today? See, this month is the anniversary of my dad's passing many years ago. And that, coupled with this horrific news this week coming out of California, of those innocents who lost their lives, has me wondering, what can I learn in church today? So here's my take on the pastor's sermon thus far. 
God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah saying, A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Jeremiah foretold of the murder of the innocents by the wicked king Herod as he attempted to prevent the new king, the babe in the manger, Jesus, from growing up and coming into his kingdom. In the midst of great joy, there was intense sadness. Now, if we fast forward 2,000 plus years as the world prepares once again for the celebration of the coming of Christ into the world, a time of great joy. And in the midst of that joy, the peace is continually shattered as our soldiers still fall in battle. Our cities bleed with violence. And our people are murdered in senseless acts of horrific evil. Rachel continues to weep for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Where is God in all of this? It's a valid question. I know we've all asked it, either out loud or to ourselves, but we've all asked the question. And the answer is, God has not left us. He is still here. He is with us in the storm. He's with us in our circumstances. You've heard me say it from this very pulpit that he never promised there wouldn't be storms. He simply promised that he would be with us through the storms. And he's coming again. And in that we find our joy this season. He promises that all things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We may not see it immediately due to the fog of our circumstances, but God will use even our most dire situations for the greater good. And there is joy in that. So through faith in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Perhaps even Rachel, after all of these years, can finally cease her weeping. The hope that is in Christ tells us that her children live in His presence. And certainly, O oh merciful God, we can find joy. In that. So if you're listening, Dad, that's what I learned in church today. Friends, the Advent, the first Advent, had its messenger. 
to proclaim to humankind the good news. That being John the Baptist. Proclaiming the second advent is up to us. And I encourage you to go be a messenger today. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ was not only born, but that he died and rose again from the dead. And that he is sitting right now at the right hand of our Father in heaven. And from there, one day soon, and we don't know when. But we must be ready. But from there he is coming again. To take his rightful place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords over all the earth. And won't that be a joyous, glorious day? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Father God, those were the words the heavenly host proclaimed. Announcing the birth of your one and only begotten son. And they were not words uttered to heads of state, nor to priests, nor to kings but to lowly shepherds, tending their flocks in the fields. And he was not born in Rome, nor in Jerusalem, but in lowly Bethlehem of Judea, demonstrating once again that in your kingdom, Father, the least shall be first. And Father, neither was he born into luxury, but to Mary and Joseph, weary travelers seeking refuge in a manger. And Father, he did not come in glory, but as a baby. The infinite becoming the infant, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And it is that peace, Father God, that the world so desperately needs right now. Father, today, just like then, our world is in need of a Savior. There is apathy, injustice, poverty, pain, violence, and suffering on the earth. That which is wrong is held up as right. Evil is called good, and good is called evil. Father, our freedoms are trampled under the weight of oppression and this insidious scourge of a false religion is threatening all that fail to submit. But the difference between the world now and the world before Jesus is that today, through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your Son, We already have our salvation. The work is done. The victory is won. It is finished. 
So, Father God, as we prepare our hearts and our homes for the celebration of the first advent, the first coming of Christ to the world, let us be ever mindful that there will be a second. A second coming when your Son will once again come to earth, not as a helpless child, but in power and glory. He will crush Satan and his followers underfoot, and he will reign forever and ever. Father, we thank you for the blessed hope that you, through your grace and mercy, have provided. That through Christ we can be reconciled to you by faith. That if we will only believe in Christ crucified, died, buried, and resurrected then we too are promised life everlasting with you. And finally, Father God, as we lift up this prayer to you, let us always remember that Christmas is all about presence. The presence of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. The divine made human so that the human could be restored to the divine. What a tremendous gift. What a blessed Savior. Happy birthday, Son of Man. Merry Christmas, Son of God. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Please be.